Today from the Global Lane, embargoed Russian oil. Who should fill the gap? Nicolas Maduro and Venezuela? This is supposed to be a strategy of Biden to counter Russia. He's helping Russia's allies. Higher prices at the pump may be coming. How can we get some relief? I, I think the administration here can help the world, can help America a lot if we just unleash the potential we could do here domestically. CRT and sexualizing young students, Marxist tactics and ideas in American classrooms. This is definitely being pushed into our schools, beware. The truth about St. Patrick and what he endured to bring the gospel to Ireland. It was the apotheosis of human misery. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Venezuela pushback. As the Biden administration looks for other sources of oil and gasoline outside of the United States, Venezuela is being considered as one substitute to replace banned Russian oil. But Republicans aren't the only ones opposing that course of action. Even some Democrats, like Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, don't think dealing with President Nicolas Maduro is a good idea. He's a bad man. Well, here with more is Venezuelan economist and policy writer Daniel DiMartino. Daniel, good to see you again. So please explain for our viewers, those who may not be familiar with what's happening in Venezuela, why should Venezuela not be considered to fill the U.S. oil and gas gap? Yeah, well, Venezuela was one of the main uh, partners of the United States and main exporters of oil to the United States in the many, many decades ago and still until a couple decades ago. What happened was that 23 years ago, Hugo Chavez took over in Venezuela. That was approximately the same year that I was born. And the consequence was he totally destroyed our country. He transformed our democratic, free, and prosperous nation into a socialist state with now 6 million of us as refugees outside of the world, uh, outside of our country. And that the, the oil industry was massacred to try to overthrow and to try to reduce revenue to this uh, human rights violator, to, to these horrible murderers who are in power and drug dealers in Venezuela, the U.S. stopped importing oil in 2019 from Venezuela, which we produce very little anyway. Now Biden is trying to get that revived for just a few hundred, maybe 100,000 barrels of oil per day, trading our freedom, trading our or, or human rights for a little bit of money that isn't even enough to make a difference. Well, explain to us, how are the people currently faring under Nicolas Maduro uh, any better than before? Because I know the Bolivar is one of the weakest currencies in the world now. Uh, one Bolivar, I guess, used to be one million. It's now actually worth less than 20, 25 cents U.S.? Yeah. Well, look, one what happened in Venezuela was that because the government started taking over private businesses, and then the few private businesses that were left, the, the regime started placing price controls on them. The economy was just left starving uh, and, and people started starving because there were shortages of goods, because there was hyperinflation. Venezuela has it still has the highest inflation in the world. In 2019, it had a million percent inflation and it has one of the longest running hyperinflations in, in world history, which is also a, a, a record. Um, for, for several years of hyperinflation. And, and that is what has caused so many of us, like my family, who in the year in the early 2000s were making a few thousand dollars a month, like most Americans, to making $100 a month. 
I, Things I know. have changed recently for the better because the sanctions that implement that Trump implemented forced the regime to dollarize the economy inside. And so over half of the population now makes their income in US dollars from remittances, but also from working in the country. And that has protected a big portion of the population from hyperinflation. So this would reverse that? Is that what you're saying? Or if That's we right. start it, buying it would, oil from Venezuela again? If Biden does sanction relief to Venezuela, the regime is going to get a new, very powerful revenue source for them that it's going to allow them to, one, buy weapons, but but two, also re-revert re all the economic reforms that they did that at least have stopped the destruction of our purchasing power in Venezuela. Diplomatically, uh, Nicolas Maduro just released two American prisoners, one a Citgo oil executive, why do you think he did that? And why do you think the Biden administration sought those two uh, for release when there are, I think, 10 other Americans being held? That's right. Uh, I th this is all part of the, of the strategy of the Maduro regime. Biden sent two of his uh, closest advisors to Venezuela in a charter flight, one of them, uh, Juan Gonzalez who is his national security advisor for the Western Hemisphere. And with all honesty, Gary, these are clueless people. Uh, these are people who think that it is an achievement if Maduro just sits down and negotiates, which is something that he has done for 20 years. Because the thing that Maduro and Chavez loved was to sit down and negotiate with never ending uh, anything in, in sight. And that's what they do because it stops protests, it keeps people calm, and that's what they want. So it's not an achievement of, of Biden if Maduro negotiates. It's actually a failure. Maduro supports Putin and Russia and Ukraine, and the opposition leader Juan Guaido supports Zelensky and the Ukrainians. So what are the chances that Maduro and the opposition can reach an agreement on anything? There are no chances because, one, the opposition doesn't have anything to give Maduro in return for freedom for the Venezuelan people. This is supposed to be a strategy of Biden to counter Russia. He's helping Russia's ally. Just a day before he sent his, his advisors to Venezuela, the Russian ambassador to Venezuela was in a meeting with Maduro and a bunch of his paid crowd chanting that we stand with Russia, we stand with Russia against Ukraine. So... Who is Biden really helping here? He's helping Russia. And, and so then, Daniel, what should the policy of the United States be? Uh, what policy should we pursue with Venezuela? Well, the policy that should be pursued is, one, you do not negotiate with terrorists uh, because there's there's nothing that you can give them in Venezuela that 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 it's not keeping Venezuelans under tyranny, right? So that's exactly what they, they're not willing to, to give away. Uh, so we should not negotiate with the Maduro regime. We should keep sanctions in place. And if anything, we should be funding groups. We should be funding uh, humanitarian aid, but we should also be funding groups that seek the freedom of Venezuelans from inside. Um, it, it's Look, Venezuela is not going to be free because we, we do just regular peaceful activities. That's that's the reality. Okay, standing up for freedom, Daniel DiMartino, economist and policy writer. Thank you, Daniel, for providing those insights. Thank you for having me, Gary. If you live here in the United States and you have filled up at the gas pump recently, you've probably noticed a slight drop in gasoline prices over the record highs of last week. Are prices going to continue to drop or rise even higher? and put an even greater squeeze on our pocketbooks. And who's to blame for skyrocketing prices here on the home front? Putin or Joe Biden? Well, here to share some insights 
is Consumer Energy Alliance Vice President of State Affairs, Kevin Doyle. Kevin, it's good to talk to you and uh, have you on the program with us. So, so tell me, um, we've seen this slight dip in gasoline prices uh, over last week. So what do you expect is going to happen? Are they going to go up or down here in the future? No, thanks, Gary, for having me. That's a, that's a great question. And uh, I think you're going to see some fluctuations over the coming weeks, depending as, as we hear updates of whether or not there might be a ceasefire or, or different arrangements you know, over there in the conflict. But at the, at the end of the day, we're still significantly higher from just over a year ago, over a dollar a gallon higher, depending on where you go. Some places are still looking at five, six dollars a gallon. So I think you're going to see prices kind of do this uh, little slight fluctuations here and there, but we're still a lot higher than we need to be right now. So overall, you think that we're going to keep creeping up then? I, I think as long as we, you know, restrict what we can do here domestically in the United States, you know, well, we, we could definitely be helping everyone's calls, families, small businesses, consumers, you know, but for the short term, I think, unfortunately, we're going to stay in the higher end of gas prices. Okay, so what would a cessation, uh, cessation of hostilities and the Ukraine conflict uh, mean for the price of oil worldwide? I think, well, it depends, too, on some of the sanctions that are, that are being put on Russia as well. You know, they do supply a significant amount of energy to, to Western Europe. And that's, again, just, it demonstrates that, you know, why is Western Europe and our allies having to go to places that don't like us as much to get their energy when we can definitely develop our own energy here? We have resources. We can do it cleanly. We have the best environmental standards in the world. And we have the resources and that create the jobs here instead of spending money elsewhere. So I, I definitely think prices are going to be, you know, that there might be a, a fluctuation here and there still, even with a, a ceasefire or some sort of arrangement over in Ukraine. But we're we on the sidelines here in the United States, and we have a lot of abilities to, to play in this market and to create jobs and develop our own energy right here in the U.S. Okay, Kevin, let's explore that a little further. So who is to blame for this big jump? Is it Putin or Joe Biden? You know, prior to the, to the, the invasion happening a couple of few weeks ago, prices still in the United States were going up over a dollar, you know, dollar fifty a gallon, depending on where you are in the country. So th this administration has failed to unleash the the great resources of our energy industry here in the, in the U.S., you know, by restricting leases, by restricting pipelines, by not investing in infrastructure, you know, by, by importing Russian oil and gas. You know, I, I think the administration here can help the world, can help America a lot if we just unleash the potential we could do here domestically. Kevin, I've got to ask you about reports that are now circulating on social media uh, the Gazprom, the Russian oil company, has actually given money to environmental NGOs uh, to use them, I guess, to uh, stop their competition from doing things like uh, nuclear energy, uh, maybe shale oil and natural gas, things like that, uh, which definitely, uh, you know, they put pressure on the politicians and then things are shut down here in the U.S. So what do you think of that? No, it's unfortunate. It's another example of why do we continue to go to places that don't like us, that don't see things the way we see things, you know, trying to restrict the way we do things. You know, it's seeing how the Russians are, are treating the Ukrainians right now, seeing some of the pressure campaigns they're doing. It just it's just a reminder that we can do this here. Why do we need to li listen to you know, Russia and Vladimir Putin and places that don't like us as much when we can do that here without the same sort of 
pressures and some of the, the campaigns against us. And it's just another example of why it's so important that we could be self-sufficient here in the United States. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that the actual groups that are fighting against fossil fuels are taking money from one of the biggest fossil fuel producers in the world. Uh, isn't that amazing? Did that surprise you? No, I mean, if some of those reports are are, are, are are true that it's happening, you know, seeing some of, you know, the Russian propaganda machine in this war, you know, it, it's definitely, again, it just reinforces the fact that we can't trust places like Russia to get our energy. The world can't trust places like Russia to get their energy. Western Europe, Eastern Europe, all of our allies, we can create our own domestic energy here in the United States to help all of our allies and get them off Russian fuel because it just helps everybody, helps our economy, helps our people, helps America. And Kevin, quickly, uh, what do you expect is going to happen this summer as people start traveling for vacation and so forth? Prices going to go up? No, it's interesting. It's a good question because typically over the summertime, people are traveling, going on vacation, like you said, you know, off school. And prices do typically go up a little bit anyway. So you add the uncertainty what's going on in Russia. You add the fact that we are producing energy here in the United States like we can. I think, unfortunately, unless things change in the administration or, and also change what's going on with Russia, you know, I, I think American families are going to see probably a continued increase in prices over the coming months. Okay, Kevin Doyle, Vice President of the Consumer Energy Alliance. Thank you so much, Kevin. We appreciate your insights. Great. Thank you so much, Gary. Whose children are they? Whether it's critical race theory or gender identity taught to kindergartners, American parents are demanding a greater say in public school instruction. A new documentary exposes what is happening in classrooms around the country and how parents can fight back. Well, joining us with more is Rebecca Friedrichs, one of the producers of the new documentary film, Whose Children Are They? She's founder of the Four Kids and Country movement and author of the book, Standing Up to Goliath. Hi, Rebecca. It's a pleasure. So explain what you have found. Is it just a few schools that are teaching critical race theory and sexualizing young children, or is it widespread? These so-called teacher unions uh, are not really representing teachers, and they're not really a traditional union in the sense people would think of a union. They're actually pushing a very um, far-left political agenda by using our schools to indoctrinate children, to indoctrinate teachers, to bully teachers. And uh, it's actually the teachers unions, that are the so-called teachers unions, who are behind the radical sexualization of our children, the critical race theory, the anti-discipline problems, uh, policies that have turned our schools into war zones. You've heard the argument from many educators that critical race theory is not being taught in public schools. And I'm sure many schools don't call it that. So what exactly is being taught? It comes disguised as a lot of different things. It might be welcoming schools. It might be called social emotional learning. It might be called all sorts of equity. Um, and, and there's all kinds of labels on it. But it's critical race theory. What is critical race theory? It's basically divide and conquer. Uh, critical theory is a Marxist idea. And it was brought into our schools through something called the Frankfurt School that started in 1933 at Columbia University and has impacted our teacher colleges nationwide. And critical theory theory is really divide and conquer. So you can have critical race theory, critical class theory, critical do you wear your mask or not theory, critical vaccination theory. You can divide people on any number of things. And that's what critical theory does. It's absolutely in 
many of our schools across the nation, and it is part of the corrupted government uh, educational system. So if it's not in your school, it's trying to get into your school. Maybe you have good school board members who are blocking it, but the so-called teacher unions control many school boards. They control the PTA and a lot of other organizations that are uh, involved in our schools. So this is definitely being pushed into our schools. Beware. Well, a lot of people say it's communist influence in our schools, and even the Disney Corporation tried to pressure Governor DeSantis in Florida into reversing a state decision prohibiting the teaching of sexual orientation or gender identity for students in kindergarten through third grade. And I know LGBTQ activists said Florida is forcing people back into the closet. So your thoughts on that? Is this happening beyond Florida? What did you find? Well, it is happening beyond Florida. It, it, you know, it's really happening across the world, but definitely all throughout America. The communism, I agree with you 100%. We discussed that in our movie. There were some communist goals that were read into our congressional record in 1963, and we bring up some of those. Uh, one of the goals, number 17, was to infiltrate the teacher associations, to dumb down the curriculum on purpose, and to bring uh, socialist and communist propaganda into our schools. So this is definitely what is happening. The, um, the here's what our, our founders told us, our American founders. They said the only way to keep a free republic is with a well-educated and moral citizenry that can self-govern. These communists seek to undermine our uh, free republic. They're actually making a whole lot of progress, as, you can, as is obvious today. But um, what did they do? They sought to undermine our excellent education and undermine the morals of our children and our families. So that's why they're pushing this whole sexualized um, gender identity agenda because they're trying to undermine the morals of our children. They're also telling them, your parents don't know better, your parents are old fashioned, you know better, you know, you can be a transgender, you can sleep with anybody you want, you can be whoever you want. Um, they're teaching our children lies and they're damaging their, their uh, very identities and the identities that uh, that God gave them, that God said that how he designed them, male and female, and knitted them in their mother's womb. And they're being told by our government school system that, no, that's not true. So this is an atheist agenda, a communist agenda for sure. And there are many, many organizations that are involved. And the documentary, Whose Children Are They? How can people see the film? They can go to whosechildrenarethey.com and they'll find there a button that says, bring to my church. They can actually host their own event at a church or community center or school by clicking bring to my church. They can also sign up for updates for future opportunities for this film once those become available. And a prediction from you, Rebecca, people always seem to vote pocketbook issues. So to what extent, how important will curriculum and parental rights and public education uh, be when voters go to the polls this fall? I hope it will be at the tippity top, um, you know, because of the COVID um, situation that exposed what's happening in a lot of our schools. And like I said, it's not good teachers, it's activists who are promoting these things in a very corrupt system. Parents are discovering that they really don't have a voice and that they're being bullied and their kids are being, um, you know, indoctrinated and their families are being undermined. So I would hope that people are connecting the dots now, that, um, that, that they would learn what our founders knew from day one, that education is the most important thing we can do. We need to keep government out of it. We should be educating our children ourselves in our communities uh, and, and government and their unions should not be a part of it. So I'm hoping that this will be at the top of people's minds and that they will start to see the importance of not allowing the government 
to educate their children, but the importance of them educating their children themselves and, and with their with others who, who share their values. Okay, Rebecca Friedrichs, producer of the documentary film, Whose Children Are They? Thank you for taking time to share with us. We appreciate it. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. This year's St. Patrick's Day celebrations arrived under the shadow of war in Eastern Europe. Despite ongoing conflict in Ukraine, 5,000 miles away, people marched in parades in big cities like Detroit, New York, and Boston. Chicagoans carried on with their tradition of dyeing the Chicago River green, while other Americans adorned themselves in shamrocks, dressed in green attire, or celebrated by eating green bagels and drinking green beer. Yes, it sure feels good to celebrate a festive occasion after a two-year pandemic. But do you ever get the feeling that just like at Christmas, in the midst of all the revelry, people forget the true meaning of the holiday? Many folks misunderstand that St. Patrick wasn't Irish at all. He was British. Patrick was forced into slavery, eventually escaped captivity, and risked his life when he felt God calling him to return to Ireland to bring the gospel back to the pagan people who had enslaved him. Actor John Reese davies who played the elder Patrick in the CBN film I Am Patrick, explains what the patron saint of Ireland endured. It was coming to hell. Human sacrifice, idolatry of the worst sort, endless enslavement. It was the apotheosis of human misery. And it took a very brave and remarkable man to come back into the, into the certain jaws of death to, to try and change it. Patrick certainly knew the meaning of suffering and service. He was a godly man of courage and sacrifice who viewed salvation and the eternal lives of others more important than his own earthly life. Patrick's example is worth emulating. So this St. Patrick's Day, as war rages in Ukraine, Let's pray for Ukrainians and Russians. But let's also thank God for the patron saint of Ireland and his example. Let's pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are enduring hardship and risking their lives to bring help and relief to suffering Ukrainians. May God bless and protect them. And may he raise up more Patricks to share the love of Christ and the truth that God is with the Ukrainians in the midst of their suffering. And that Jesus offers all of us a better life in eternity with him. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.